0: Support for starting small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code Small at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code Small at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Rainey, co-founder of The Scribes, a mission-driven brand offering high-quality journals. If you have followed along the podcast for some time now, you can see that our guests have all received personal starting small journals. That is thanks to The Scribes. I can't wait to share Mike's story with you for their mission-driven brand. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Mike Rainey of The Scribes. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Cameron. Happy to be here.
0: Of course. For those of you who might not know, uh the scribes is actually the journal company that you see in all of our guest promotion photos so this is the starting small scribe actually from the scribes it's a custom embroidered Um, i'm a huge fan of the work that they have done over there and every single guest that joins our show receives one of these scribes along with that you also have the chance to purchase a starting small scribe on their website TheScribes.co. so to kick things off mike i would like to bring you back to your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
1: Uh, yeah, so I grew up in, uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so I live in New York now, uh, and I've lived here for about five years. Um, but I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. I had an amazing childhood. Um, Huntsville is like, a it's a small town, but, um, still plenty to do. And, uh, there's good opportunity there. My. Um, parents were amazing growing up. Um, I still am just kind of amazed at how they did all that they did. They were very busy, uh, professionally, um, but managed to raise a few pretty good kids and, um, just went above and beyond to kind of cater to all of our activities. Um, I have two sisters, um, one older and one younger. Um, they're both, um, one of them actually lives in New York and the other one lives in DC, but um, they uh, both had very busy childhoods, just like myself. Um, they both rode horses in um, kind of growing up. And so, so many weekends uh, we would be, you know, out at different kind of horse shows, whether it's like in Nashville or um, down in Palm beach, Florida area. Um, well, my parent or my sisters were really competitive. Um, kind of hunter jumpers um, which required a ton of travel. Um, it just required a ton of sacrifice generally um, and then I was a big basketball player growing up. I always thought that I wanted to be a professional basketball player or a coach and um, obviously uh, things turned out differently but between kind of my sister's schedules and and my schedule um, my parents seemed to always have it together. Um, we would always have dinner together at nights and Um, I think we're just a super close knit, um, family that, um, really allowed us to, um, kind of, there, there, nothing was off the table, like whatever Mm -hmm. we wanted to do. My parents kind of gave us the opportunity to, to chase that. And, um, they definitely let us fail a few times and, um, that taught us a lot too. But, um, overall I had a great childhood growing up in Huntsville, went to a good school and, um, really, uh, miss a lot of the people back home, but, um, it's always great to go back and and mm-hmm. see everybody. So,
0: for sure, growing up uh, with a driven family, it sounds like. Would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, my so my parents they worked in a for a family business, uh, kind of in the pharmaceutical space. Um, and so I saw my my grandfather ran the company, um, and then my dad worked for him, and uh, my uncles and aunts, and everybody was kind of involved in that business. Um, and so from an early age, I kind of saw uh, what it was like to not only, you know, be involved in business um, and family business, which, you know, obviously brings, there's a lot of, uh, that's met with a lot of challenges, uh, family businesses are. Um, but I got to see kind of my family uh, in that space. And it, um, you know, kind of inspired me and my sisters to, you um, kind of always be thinking about, you know, creating things or doing things, you know, outside of school and our hobbies. Um, I know you always ask about lemonade stands. Yeah, Um, I'll admit I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So I've listened (laughs) to so many episodes. And uh, I know you ask about lemonade stands and my lemonade stand is uh, actually a little different. Mm. Um, We certainly did have lemonade stands growing up. I remember we set up the little cart out in front of the house and uh, in our neighborhood. But um, I remember we would go to the grocery store that morning to buy all of our supplies. Um, so we would buy some cookies and, you know, the lemonade mix and everything. Uh, and then we would sell it all day. And at the end of the day, my dad would actually make us, uh, he would charge us for the cost of goods. Um, <laughs> wow. So it was kind of like a good reminder uh, and a good learning experience. He was like, you know, maybe we made $40 that day. Uh, and we had end up having to pay him 20. And we obviously thought it was like, Oh dad, this is so unfair. But he was like, this yeah. is, this is business. Those are your cost of goods sold. So wow, um, he kind of, yeah, he kind of taught us from a very early age.
0: That's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard that with the lemonade stand paying back. That's very impressive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he wasn't joking around.
0: <laughs> so moving on, you went to Guilford college in 2013. <clears throat> um, interested in basketball at the time. I'm curious, did you move on to play basketball here or just school. Yeah,
1: I did. Okay. Um, so I was a good high school player. Um, I wouldn't say I was a great high school player. Um, but I wanted to play in college. It was something that I had always kind of dreamed about. Um, obviously when I was young, I was like, Oh, I'm going to play at Alabama or I'm going to play at Kentucky or, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that, uh, that became a reality that I wasn't going to play at one of those schools and like probably middle school. But, um, anyways, kept working really hard. Um, kind of, um, you know, playing both at school and high school and then on like a kind of the AAU circuit as well. But um, yeah, I went to Guilford in 2013. Um, I was recruited a little bit, um, but it wasn't, I wasn't decorated by any means. And Guilford is a small division three college um, where, you know, your academics obviously come first. There's no real, um, you know, there's no full scholarships for athletes necessarily. Um, but I went to Guilford, um, kind of walked onto the team, to be honest. I remember when we fr- first showed up on campus, uh, they would always bring in these huge recruiting classes of like 20 to 25 freshmen, um, competing for a few spots on the team. Um, and I was by no means, uh, even one of the better players in that freshman class. Um, but I worked really, really hard and I uh, got along with the coaches really well, uh, ultimately made the team and, um, played basketball there for four years. So I mm. uh, never, never was very good. I'll admit, like <laughs> I, I was never, uh, never got a ton of playing time. Even, um, never was, you know, looking at the box score for myself after the game. Um, but I was a captain for three years, um, made some just incredible friendships, both with the coaches and my teammates. Um, and really, uh, it taught me a lot about leadership and me mm. um, a lot about sacrifice. Um, it, all of these things that I learned in college, playing college basketball, um, all of the struggle uh, kind of has translated well over into the, the entrepreneurial field.
0: For sure. Uh, deciding on your degree then, uh, you mentioned earlier that you're interested in possibly coaching, uh, getting into sports. Was that ever uh, explored? Did you actually uh, go for sports administration or... What did you, you know
1: um, I think the the idea of like coaching and stuff was it kind of uh, I, I lost more and more interest in it as I got more and more serious about basketball actually I think going yeah. to college was probably like, oh man, I do not want to do this again <laughs> after I remember just playing college basketball is like so demoralizing half the time it was just like oh, I can't wait for you know. a a real job and I'm not like waking up and puking every morning at 6 a.m. because we're doing line sprints. But um, I went to school and uh, I studied just uh, it was a liberal arts college. I had like a very uh, general business degree, Mm -hmm. Um, had a few minors that um, I was actually more interested in. Probably I took uh, I got really into a few history classes, was really into a few political science classes. Um, And that's one of the great things about a small school too is, um, you know, for one, I had an advisor in college, her name is Betty Kane, who um, literally was like a second mom to me and just, just helped me in in so many ways um, throughout college, like kind of, you know, helping me decide on what I wanted to do. And then, um, like I said, being a small school, I remember taking a class my senior year. Uh, and it was a political science class, but it was really like a leadership class in a way. And -hmm. it was taught by the college president and there was only two other kids in the class. (laughs) So it was just like three of us with the college president. um, And just, it it was such an incredible opportunity. Uh, You know, it's so different from all my friends who went to big state schools and, you know, took classes in auditoriums. So I never, I don't even understand that um, because of the kind of the environment that I got to learn in, fortunately.
0: For sure. So following your time in college then, and then, uh, prior to the scribes, what kind of jobs were you working with this degree?
1: Um, so I, after my junior year in college, I wanted to, um, I wanted to find an internship that I thought would like set set me up for my post college, um, professional career. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought like, oh, maybe I'll try to do like investment banking or something or something in finance. Um, and what better place to do it than New York? Um, so I, I was actually working as a fundraiser for the college while I was there. So I did that most of my college career, which was awesome. Um, just going to different events, talking to alumni and trustees and helping the college raise money. Um, kind of from like the student perspective, I got to tell my story and how the college helped me. Um, but through that, um, I met a guy who, uh, had a, firm in New York and it was, you know, kind of in the investment banking um, space. And he offered me an internship to move up to New York after my junior year in college. I interned with him for uh, a few months and um, kind of fell in love with New York. I I thought that I was going to work at that firm after college and um, it didn't quite work out that way. But I definitely knew that I wanted to be back up in New York. I just fell in love with the the energy of the city and So I moved back up to New York after college without a job, um, kind of just took a chance of myself and um, interviewed, uh, found a job at a startup. uh, It was called payability. They were, um, they were kind of in the e-commerce space uh, in the kind of the, you know, financial services for e-commerce businesses uh, Mm -hmm. is kind of their focus. And, um, and then I, from there, I kind of fell in love with like the startup culture. I was yeah. probably the fifteenth or sixteenth employee there, and got to wow. see it grow quite a bit. So, um, just fell in love with the the startup culture, and um, that job kind of, you know, kicked off my my own entrepreneurial kind of craving. So,
0: so how long did you stay at this startup then? I'm curious.
1: Um, so I was there for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, And I had kind of a a few different jobs there. I started uh, on the sales team and I think that was actually a really, um, I learned a lot uh, by being in sales, you know, it's one of those sales roles that you a lot of outbound, you made a lot of calls, um, you know, talking to people about, you know, things that you don't even understand that well. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so started in sales there. Um, ultimately kind of moved over into like the business development and strategic partnership world, um, where we got to meet with a bunch of cool companies and talk about a lot of cool ideas to kind of embed our, um, financial service technology into their platform. Um, but I was there for about two and a half years and that's where I met, uh, ultimately that met Pooja and Alden who are my two co-founders at the Scribes. Mm -hmm. Um, we were just fast friends. Uh, we met, I don't know, at this point, it's been several years because we've been working on the scribes for a while, but Mm -hmm. um, met Pooja and Alden, um, just became really tight with them. We were all similar ages. Um, Pooja was kind of in the product management. um, She worked in the product management division at this company. Alden was our designer and I was kind of on the biz dev and partnerships team. So Mm -hmm. uh, the three of us, while we worked in completely separate kind of units of the business, we all kind of collaborated um Mm. you know and we would be working together in strategic meetings um and so we were just became really good friends um it allowed us to kind of um you know we would often we would go to lunch together and we would go out after work together and we were always talking about kind of what what we want um yeah and what we wanted to do next and um ultimately we got to work on something pretty cool together so
0: that's awesome so the scribes officially launches in 2019 I'm curious, uh, building this relationship with your co-founders then, when did this idea kind of spark while working at the startup and what led you to entering the journaling space?
1: Yeah, so it started, um, so yeah, we sold our first product on November 8th of 2019, Mm. Um, but we were probably working on the idea for six months before and very casual. Um, You know, we would go to a bar after work and just kind of, you know, talk about, you know, what we could potentially do together. Um, It kind of started. So the story is, I was going to a lot of conferences, um, as part of my role. Uh, At these conferences, I would always come back with all of these, you know, different notebooks or, um, you know, phone cases, all these little gadgets that like companies would give you. Um, And I had a stack of these notebooks on my desk. And they were all just like these Um, really cheap plastic, you know, kind of gross looking notebooks, but companies would put their logo on them and they thought that they were, you know, serving their marketing efforts. Well. Yeah. Um, And so I had all these notebooks on my desk Um, and it's funny, the scribes, this name comes from um, actually comes from a Slack channel. So when and Alden (laughs) and I were um, at this company, we, like I said, we were kind of these junior folks, but in pretty strategic meetings, And people were always asking us, like our bosses, they were kind of, you know, micromanaging us um, Mm -hmm. and saying like, are you taking notes? And like, you know, are you paying attention or, you know, things like that. Those comments just became more and more um, frequent. And the, I don't know, like like a lot of companies, you have a meeting and then the next meeting a week later, you often have to rehash what you had in the last meeting because nobody was really paying attention or like, you know, there wasn't clear objectives set at the end of it. Um, and so we kind of became like these note takers, um, where we were recording everything that happened in these meetings. So we could all stay on track for the project. Um, jokingly, we created a Slack channel and we called it the scribes. Um, wow. and it was a place where we just kind of got together and kind of talked shit, to be honest. And yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a very healthy Slack channel by any <laughs> means, but, um, we, uh, started this Slack channel called the scribes. Um, as I mentioned, I had all these notebooks sitting on my desk. And so I remember one day we were just like, why don't we, um, you know, Alden is, has this design background. He was like, I've been like kind of messing around with some different like mock-ups of what, you know, a better looking journal could be for some of these companies. And why don't we try to go sell them, um, at conferences and stuff. And, um, kind of in tandem with all of this happening. So six months prior to the launch of the scribes, um my sister who i'm my younger sister who i'm really close with she actually works for a juvenile detention center in dc Mm -hmm. and um due to budgetary issues um and just the nature of like the criminal justice reform or criminal justice system Mm -hmm. um my sister was going out to hobby lobby and you know staples and stuff after work and she was buying a bunch of school supplies for the residents of this facility Mm -hmm. um and so these kids are you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 or so years old or whatever. Um, And they're in school, um, obviously incarcerated, but in school at the same time. And my sister Annie was buying their school supplies with her own credit card, um, just trying to help out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, as Pooja and Alden and I are talking about creating a notebook company, um, we started looking for suppliers and, you know, trying to um, you know, we didn't really even know how many we wanted to produce to start, or how many colors or whatever. But we mm-hmm. said, let's start with one color. Uh, we'll call it the original scribe. It'll be a really simple journal, um, and we'll we purchased five hundred, I think, to start. And we just said, okay, we'll donate um, half of these to faci- to this facility in DC, and we'll try to sell the other half. Um, and so that kind of you know, without even knowing it, really, we kind of started this, like, buy one, give one model. Yeah. Um, we sold through the 250 units. We donated um, these journals to this facility in D.C., and uh, we were kind of off to the races at that point.
0: Wow. So I'm curious, when you went to find a manufacturer for the journals at start, what did that process kind of look like? Was it tough to find one for journals? And what does that look like?
1: Um... I mean, we took kind of the standard approach that I think a lot of people take, um, which is just like going to Alibaba and like looking at, you know, contacting manufacturers, um, not just in China, but kind of all over the world. Um, And we talked to a bunch of manufacturers here in the U.S. And um, it was I mean, it was it was kind of a pain that, you know, it's a lot of work and the communication is is kind of tough. And. Uh, if you're talking to like 20 different suppliers at a time trying to figure out who you're going to choose from, it's like just managing those conversations is kind of difficult. But yeah. um, ultimately we found a supplier uh, who's been a great partner for us. And um, I mean, especially in the early days, we couldn't even, you know, hit their minimum order quantities. Um, and we were, you know, can we produce like 20 of this one and 20 of this one? And, um, and they actually worked with us uh, in the very beginning. And Um, So they've been a great partner for us and we're actually still using the same supplier today. We've Mm. used a few different ones for different projects, but um, yeah, I mean, finding suppliers is not easy. um, But at the time too, there was no pressure on us. We were all working full time. We were, this was really, really fun. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't like we were breaking our backs to try to figure this out um, by a certain due date. We were like, if this is going to happen, it's going to happen and let's just have fun with it for now.
0: Awesome. Launching this first journal after finding a new manufacturer, I'm curious then, uh, what exactly was that? Was it a black color you mentioned? Was it black? And then also line dotted pages? What did that look like?
1: Uh, So this first one was just a Navy journal. Um, Yeah, it was a Navy journal. Um, We wrapped it in like a nice, uh, really nice looking sleeve that Alden designed. Um, That's kind of just for packaging purposes but it adds you know like you see on your starting small journal it just adds yeah. like a bit of character to the journal um, and we the the first journal we ever created was um, the left page of the the left side of the journal where line pages and the right side were blank pages okay um, why we did that to start is I honestly don't remember at this point um, <laughs> we just thought it would be cool to you know, kind of be able to both doodle and kind of sketch things out as well as take more formal notes, um, all kind of in one place. And, um, so that was our first journal. And yeah, like I said, we started with a really small, um, you know, uh, production run and, uh, sold through them really quickly. And <clears throat> we're kind of just like, you know, posting on Instagram, we created an account. We weren't yeah. doing any, we didn't do any paid marketing probably for, um, Maybe like the first year, uh, to be honest. So mm-hmm. um, it was all just kind of word of mouth, getting our coworkers to buy it and telling their friends and, um, you know, really just starting small, um, yeah. to be honest. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Selling these first journals then, was it mainly on site? And then you guys logistically would pack them, ship them. How does that look?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's, it's, gosh, it takes me back, but uh, <laughs> I remember. I was living in lower Manhattan. Um obviously you know and there's no such thing as a big apartment in New York for somebody who's yeah. 25 years old unless they just have tons of money. Um, sure. So we all had really small apartments. Um and we would I remember when we would receive our shipment from our supplier, we would all go over to my apartment. I mean, we would just have boxes like on my bed. Um and we would just kind of be like sorting through these um, when we first started, we obviously like set up a site through Shopify and everything, but, mm-hmm. uh, it was so painfully manual, like we would get an order <laughs> in and we would like all be so excited and we'd rush home and we would pack it up. And then we literally write the address on the package with a Sharpie. We weren't even like printing shipping labels at this <laughs> point. Um, yeah. and then we'd run it to the post office and then, um, you know, then we'd like follow up with the customer a million times via email to make sure that they were happy. Um. And I remember in the early days, it's like, it's so um, it's just so exhilarating, like chasing every sale, um, you know, every time you get a sale, especially from a person you don't know, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is so exciting. Um, and obviously as your business matures, it's, um, you know, it's a lot different and the the, motion, the emotions are different. But um, yeah, it was really, it was the three of us just um, spending nights and weekends in my apartment and in the, in the financial district. And um, that's that's really how it started, and all, at the same time, we've always had kind of a B two B business as well. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge part of our business, and we can talk more about it. But um, we would create these journals for companies um, with their logos on them and everything like that. And um, w- same thing would happen. You know, we get them all shipped to my apartment, and we had you know, box them up and the company might have ordered 200. So we'd, you know, get four boxes full of, you know, 50 pound boxes full of journals and get in an Uber and like drive them up to the company wow. um, and drop them. On. It was, it was, it's funny to look back on because we just were totally yeah. hacking it together. But um, <laughs> I think that's, you know, I, that that's how it should start almost, sure. you know, it teaches you a lot.
0: That's great. At the forefront of Scribes mentioning, uh, mentioning that you guys Order 250 donated 250 I presume that that 250 was donated uh, right away um, I'm curious mm-hmm. today what does that process look like donating to various organizations once a journal is purchased
1: uh, yeah so we 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 have a ton of different um, kind of nonprofits or um, organizations that we work with um, we so when we started, we were, all of our journals had a different name. So the original scribe, we had the Crosby scribe. It was, um, the reason it was named the Crosby scribe is we kind of founded this little company on the corner of Spring and Crosby in New York. Mm. Um, And we had um, a journal called the Moxie scribe. And each one of these journals had kind of a different name. Uh, And each uh, journal kind of represented something a little bit different. So the Crosby scribe, for example, Uh, for everyone we sold we donated one to a cause in new york um Mm. new york was very important to us yeah um for the moxie scribe we always tried to find um a cause that empowered young females um so we worked with a lot of different organizations that helped um you know girls you know yeah become uh or kind of thrive um educationally um now since we've gotten a little bit bigger uh it's, it's different, for sure. We kind of have to work more on a monthly or a quarterly basis. You know, yeah. here's how many we sold. Uh, and we have a pipeline kind of full of different organizations that we support um, in an ongoing basis and in a kind of one-time basis. But um, yeah, some of our, uh, like with the, the B2B side of our business, um, a really kind of unique selling proposition to the companies is we allow them to Kind of choose where they want journals to be donated. So, Mm. um, one really good example of this is uh, there's a really big law firm in New York uh, called Kirkland and Ellis, and they're not just in New York, but they're one of the biggest law firms in the world. Um, And we started working with them at the very beginning of all of this. Um, And through that relationship, we met a guy named Ramiro Ocasio. Uh, he is, was born in Honduras, immigrated to the U S um, just incredible person. Uh, he was working at Kirkland uh, and he was kind of working in the mail room. So he would deliver the mail to each of the lawyers offices. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of this story is more about Ramiro, but, um, over the years, he has always gone back to Honduras every year and just taken money taken supplies, um, you know, whatever he could. Um, and even he wasn't even making, you know, a ton of money in, in the US, but he was he did such a good job of, um, you know, giving back to his local community in Honduras. Um, ultimately, a group of partners at Kirkland uh, wanted to help Romero, um start a foundation that builds schools in Honduras. Um, and this was a few years ago, but to date, uh, it's been a huge success. They've built probably 15 or 16 schools in Honduras this point Uh, at this point, I've gotten to work with the foundation really closely and actually went down to Honduras in June. Mm. Um, and that has been, that foundation has been a big focus for us. Um, not only, you know, when Kirkland and LS buys, you know, custom journals from us, we obviously donate to Faye, but it's Mm. called the foundation for education in Honduras. But, um, it's just such an amazing organization that uh, truly impacts the most underserved uh, Mm. communities um, in a positive way. And so a lot of our giving has um, been focused on that foundation. Uh, Last year, we donated um, over 3,000 journals. uh, So each of the students in Honduras, um, they had about 3,000 students at the time. Um, So each student got their own journal. And uh, we plan on doing that again this year. That's um, so that's like one kind of example of a foundation that we uh, really try to support.
0: That's amazing. Looking at the scribes today, what would you say is the top seller? Uh, with various different types, but maybe line, dotted, blank, etc.? cetera?
1: Um, so probably uh, it's kind of skewed because we have some retail partners now that okay. um, purchase at uh, you know, in pretty large quantities and they have kind of honed in on a few particular SKUs. So, um, overall probably our soft cover, uh, soft cover red line journal is our number one selling journal. Uh, we've also, uh, back in 2020, we launched a collection of pins that are really, really nice. They're, uh, aluminum body, like really heavy in hand pins that, um, are super affordable, uh, Hmm. for the consumer. It's it's funny people, uh, we call these the quills and people compare these to like, we see it in our, in our Facebook comments and stuff like, Oh my God, this is better than the cross pin that I was gifted last year. And I (laughs) look up a cross pin and it's like $80. So I'm like, wow. Um, so I think we've done a really, really good job, um, from the production and design standpoint of the quill. That's like one of our best, um, sellers online and, Hmm. um, but yeah, the journals, they all sell um, pretty well. Like I said, that one journal, um, just because of our retail buyers who, who purchased that one, it's probably our best seller.
0: Amazing. I'd like to move into kind of journaling as I see it myself along with you on how it increases productivity and efficiency. So personally, what draws me into journals is writing down my daily task and schedule. And I, I've done it for the past two to three years now. And I've, I've noticed a drastic change I'm curious with yourself and maybe your co-founders, do you guys notice a change in your work when you journal in contrast to typing or using the computer?
1: Um, Yeah, it's funny. This morning before this podcast, I actually, um, every Wednesday morning, uh, we send out kind of a journaling prompt email Um, because I think one of the hardest things, uh, you know, people are always, you know, talking, you can go online and be like type in benefits of journaling, and you're gonna have 100 articles pop up. And if you've ever seen a therapist or something, every, you know, therapist is going to tell you to start keeping a journal. Um, So the benefits are there. But one of the hardest parts is like knowing how to get started. Um, And you know, what do I write about, like, I'm obviously thinking about so many things, but how do I kind of focus in and make this a good use of time. Um, So every Wednesday morning, we send out a journaling prompt email. Um, that's really, really simple, uh, probably takes a minute to read the email and it's like, we give our audience like one or two things to kind of think about. Um, but, um, yeah, for, for us specifically, um, I think of journaling as is, uh, almost spiritual in a way it's, yeah. um, you know, it's just like a, a quiet time where you can really, um, kind of uh i don't know the word for it but you can really um have a better understanding of like kind of what's going on in your mind um this morning for example um i was just writing about wanting to kick a, a, we the, the prompt was like what habit do you want to kick yeah um and obviously there's a ton of habits um that i want to kick um i probably should eat more or eat better I should <laughs> probably exercise more like those are givens but Um, I talked about like just oversleeping. Um, you know, I want to be this person who wakes up at, you know, really early in the morning. Um, but right now, given like work and everything else going on, I've had this habit of staying up really late and waking up at like 8am and I'm not super happy with this personally. Um, so just taking a few minutes this morning, um, just writing about this, um, it pulled out a few different questions. So, um, it's like, why do I stay up so late? And mm. I figured out that why I stay up so late um, is because I feel like that's like kind of the quiet time that I have in my day. Yeah. Um, and then that prompted me to say, well, why can't you have that in the morning? And I could have that in the morning. Um, and it's just a choice that I need to make. But um, it just kind of forces you to think about these little small things uh, yeah. in more detail. And um, I just think, yeah, it, I think we live in such a high-paced world where we're so distracted i mean we're on our phones all day long and i'm guilty of it too um i think if you can take five minutes just to uh kind of center yourself and turn everything off and just write uh, i think it benefits can really be powerful
0: it's a great point so i like to conclude each episode with this if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur uh, maybe something you've learned or regret what would that
1: be um, so I think, uh, one thing that, um, I wish I would have done this for myself. Um, and so I hope this helps other entrepreneurs out there, but, uh, kind of set, like setting expectations for what you're working on is really important. Um, I think if, you know, the life of an entrepreneur is really, um, like it, there's so many ups and downs, it's really volatile. Um, and I think if you kind of set some expectations, like if you're in the early days, um, you know, it might sound cheesy, but like writing a business plan, for example, we never really did that. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of started working on this, but I, looking back, I kind of wish we, um, you know, kind of set some expectations for ourselves that would have helped us like, you know, manage our expectations a little bit better. Um, and even if setting expectations means like, okay, I want to work full time, but I just want to have this thing on the side. That's like fun and interesting. Um, then like set that expectation for yourself and then you're not going to, um, I don't know, you won't be disappointed, uh, Mm -hmm. necessarily because it's kind of going to plan. Um, so I think setting expectations is, you know, really important and just taking the time to really think through what you want out of what you're starting, um, And even if you don't know, then that's maybe your expectation. Then you, you know, you kind of, um, you don't put too much pressure on yourself. And then I would say the other thing is just, um, I think, you know, consistency kind of outweighs, you know, everything else. Um, I was even listening to one of your podcasts. Um, I believe it was the Sand Cloud uh, podcast where they talked about Shark Tank. Yeah. And they talked about being on Shark Tank and you asked like, Um, you know, how big was that spike in sales? And they were like, well, it was like, you know, significant, but two days later, everything was back to normal. Yeah. Um, And so I think, you know, obviously, you need to have a lot of things in the pipeline from a marketing perspective and like, always be, you know, there has to be things that are happening for your business. But I think more importantly, if you can just consistently, you know, do the small things well every day. um, And, you know, get 1% better each day, then I think you're ultimately going to be happier than kind of waiting on these, you know, huge moments to suddenly happen.
0: For sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out the scribes at the scribes.co. Thanks, Cameron. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.